I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The desire to live forever is as old as life itself. Now, some of the world's richest people are investing heavily in the science of immortality. You're starting to have lots of different companies trying things that a decade ago would just kind of seem bananas. Where Silicon Valley leads, we inevitably follow. Today, we'll look at the science of aging and we'll bring you a who's who of the billionaires and scientists trying to crack the most elusive puzzle of all. What has happened in this, let's call it an industry or a sector, whatever you want to call it, over the last 15, 20 years, is a shift in thinking to think about age itself as a disease, as an ailment. So the holy grail is effectively a magic pill. Is it time to change our understanding of what it means to age? Could we get to a point where dying becomes optional? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the tech billionaires trying to outmaneuver death. Gilgamesh, which is, uh, you know, possibly the first written down human text, it's subject to a large extent the quest for immortality. That's Tom Whipple, the Times science editor, and it turns out an avid reader of ancient texts. Gilgamesh is heading out in the third millennium BC and he's trying to find a way to live forever. And of course, he fails, as everyone who came afterwards failed. Yet in every culture we have these tales, some of which are stories and some of which are things that might well have actually happened. The first emperor of China, when it was unified, ordered his scientists and his subjects to find him the elixir of life. We've got people throughout the Middle Ages in Europe searching for the philosopher's stone, and one of the things that this object could do is give you immortality. And then, of course, we've got later, better documented tales of people genuinely trying these things out. Pope Innocent VIII, who was uh, anything but innocent, well, there's a story of him on his deathbed. He didn't particularly want to meet the maker he'd been worshipping all of his life, as he quite possibly wouldn't, given the quantities of uh, illegitimate children knocking around. And so three boys were reputedly brought to him to have their blood drained to give to him to revive him. Now, all four of them, including the boys, died, at least according to the stories. So they've learned the truth, which is you cannot delay death. This is death, this is taxes, and the two are inevitabilities. 
It's interesting that you talk about Pope Innocent because the method he tried there using young blood is one that hasn't really gone away. Talk to us about some of the more recent developments. I remember I was at the Society for Neuroscience conference in the US about 15 years ago, and I came across this small poster presentation by a couple of scientists who had sewed mice together. One mouse was old and one mouse was young, and they found that the old mouse was rejuvenated. It had the blood of the young mouse coursing through it, and it was sprightlier, and it had all these signs of uh, of working better as a mouse with the small caveat that it had another mouse sewed to it. I remember reporting on this and thinking, this is ghoulish and interesting, but since then it's been taken extremely seriously. Companies have set themselves up in Silicon Valley that are fundamentally about harvesting the blood of the young to inject into billionaires. Um, Now, there have been a lot of people trying to think, you know, if it has this effect, what is it the blood is doing? Can we synthesize the relevant bit without having to continually drain the blood of young virgins? Um, And probably there is something going on. There is some factor in the blood that is useful, but this is slightly the story of the quest for immortality, and that since then it's turned out to be quite a bit more complicated. There are a lot of things that could be confounding this result, not least that they've sewed together a young mouse and an old mouse, which forced the old mouse to start moving around in the way that perhaps it would prefer not to be, perhaps prefer to be sitting in its mouse equivalent of a chair with its pipe and slippers, but suddenly it's attached to this bright young thing that's forcing it to exercise, notwithstanding the fact that obviously they are together an abomination of science with two heads and eight legs. Yes, I'm, I'm not sure that's necessarily where even the billionaires want to go. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're not going to see Jeff Bezos hiding a young child beneath his cloak sewn to his body. <laughs> Quite a price to pay, even for a longer life. Uh, yeah, for, for the child and and indeed for Jeff Bezos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am Danny Fortson. I'm the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times. If you want to understand the foibles of Silicon Valley tech billionaires, there's really only one place to turn. Our old friend and fellow Times podcaster, Danny in the Valley. I've been covering the tech industry out here for the paper for the past five years. As you can probably tell by my accent, I actually grew up my whole life in Silicon Valley and then spent a bunch of years in London now and back covering the weird, wild West Coast. Well, Danny, it's clearly a patch that you know well. In the, the Silicon Valley tech space, when did prolonging life and somehow leading to eternal life and eternal health, when did that become such an obsession? It's been around for a long time. The thing about Silicon Valley is that you're supposed to aim for, dream about, work on the impossible. And what's interesting about this place is that the impossible has been achieved. Go back some decades, computers used to take up whole city blocks. And the idea that you could shrink that down into something that fits in your pocket and is orders of magnitude more powerful... That is science fiction crazy. Private, very wealthy people are creating space tourism companies, talking about colonizing the moon and Mars, and working on these things and actually making real progress. It kind of gives you a sense that the impossible is not impossible here. And in a way, eternal life, longevity, whatever you want to call it, falls into that bucket. But of course, the challenge is that we're talking about biology, we're not talking about code. The medulla regulates such organs as the stomach, which helps digest food, the heart, which pumps blood, 
and the functions of most body organs. We're not talking about little machines you can make more efficient. The human body is arguably the most complex machine. Many of the internal activities of your body that enable you to continue living are controlled by the medulla, a part of your brain no larger than a radish. So it's, uh, it's proven quite difficult. Where did it begin in terms of Silicon Valley's attempts to outfox death? Who, who was the first billionaire to get involved and, and what did it look like? In a way, it's been kind of fringe. Like, there's always megalomaniacal people who would think, well, why wouldn't this be possible? But if you even just go back, say, 15 years or so, there was a, an early study done by a Stanford researcher, and what he did was he sewed two mice together. That's the same study that Tom mentioned earlier. That one experiment on mice has now become a Silicon Valley obsession. One was very young and one was very old. And what he did was he basically married their circulatory systems. So their blood mixed. And what they found was that the older mouse biologically became younger. And the younger mouse biologically became older. And it's this process called parabiosis. And that got a lot of people excited. And there's lots of little breadcrumbs like that that have developed in academia over the years that billionaires have glommed onto and said, okay, actually, well, why don't we take this to its logical conclusion and see if we can actually create something out of this kernel that might be happening in a mouse or a worm or some other small insect and see if we can translate it to humans. I mean, that idea, the, the young blood theory... It sounds medieval. It's, it sounds like it comes from the school of science that still uses leeches. <laughs> Does it work? The short answer is no. Um, <laughs> and this really gets to the core of this whole story and the, these attempts thus far. There was actually a startup called Ambrosia. Transfusions with the young blood from teenagers just may turn back the hands of time. That blood is going to patients over 35 as part of a clinical trial called Ambrosia. It started a few years ago by a doctor from Stanford Medical School. He would go to blood banks, buy a bunch of young, as much young blood as he could, and then for 6,000 pounds a pop, would transfuse the plasma from this blood into older people. And he claimed that this would do all kinds of wonderful things for you, make you look better, make you feel better. And of course, the FDA caught wind of this. That's the American Food and Drug Administration. And checking on procedures like this would be very much their remit. They started asking some questions and very swiftly this company, who claimed to have done this procedure on hundreds of people, got shut down quite quickly. Again, it's, there's a lot of instances where in like a small dose in a controlled environment in a different animal, there's some very interesting science. But then when you try to translate it to the real world, that's when you run into problems. So, Danny, talk us through, because the other thing with Silicon Valley is it does seem to be entirely populated by the most extraordinary characters. Talk us through the cast of characters around this desperate search for longer life. Who's got involved? Jeff Bezos, he's put some of his money into anti-aging or age reversal companies. Bezos could spend over $6 million a day or $250,000 per hour for the rest of his life and still have billions left over. So what is he going to do with it all? You have people like Peter Thiel, the Facebook billionaire. He has also put money into several of these companies. 
Peter Thiel co-founded PayPal back in 1998. The team around him went on to create groundbreaking startups like YouTube, Yelp, Kiba, LinkedIn, and Tesla. And he also runs a thing called the Thiel Fellowship, where he finds very, very promising young scientists and entrepreneurs and pays them $100,000 to drop out of school to try out whatever idea they're working on. At the top, you have a collection of billionaires who are very interested in this. And then the bottom of the funnel is lots of younger to mid-career academics, entrepreneurs who are saying, okay, look, this is an interesting area. If only I had the money. And that's where they're meeting. And you're starting to have lots of different companies that trying things that a decade ago would just kind of seem bananas. A lot of these people have seen the world change and have helped change the world. They have this distinct worldview that there is nothing outside their bounds. That's where you're getting this crop of interesting slash bizarre startups. You know, in pantomime terms, these are sort of the slightly wacky billionaires and then the mad scientists. Tell us a bit about the mad scientists, because they're the ones we see less of in the news. One of the people who, as a teenager, was found by Peter Thiel and given 100 grand to drop out. Her name is Laura Deming. She is now 26, 27. She received this 100 grand from Peter Thiel back when she was 17. She had entered MIT at the age of 14. She's a child prodigy. And her idea is very simple. Let's make death optional. Well, I mean, that's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> it's a hell of a pitch. That's pretty much the reaction Laura got when she unveiled her ideas. Here she is telling Danny about the experience back in 2017. The first reaction from almost everyone that I've ever talked about aging with on the street or, you know, on an airplane or such will say, that sounds like a terrible idea. I think death is great. I would like to die. I don't want death to go away. When I was a 12-year-old, very obstreperous child, I used to kind of get very uppity about that. Her idea was, well, let me raise a fund and I can find the best researchers, the brightest minds working on this in some way, shape or form and help them get off the ground. And one of the companies that she has funded is a company called Fauna Bio, Fauna as in flora and fauna. They are looking at some mechanisms that happen in certain types of animals and see if we can apply those to humans. So I'll give you an example. One of the animals that they're researching is the Arctic ground squirrel. And the Arctic ground squirrel hibernates during the winter. Its body temperature goes below freezing. Its cells decay. In many ways we think about it for humans, it's dead. And then it comes out of hibernation and all of these cells regenerate. The neurons regenerate through its own natural biological process. And so the conceit is, well, what can we learn about these cells inside the Arctic ground squirrel and see if we can apply that to humans? So that just gives you a sense of some of the science we're looking at here. One theme that really runs through all of this kind of obsession with life extension or longevity is really a shift in how you think about aging and death. So rather than as we get older, we start to get diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, whatever it may be, all of these diseases of aging. What has happened in this, let's call it an industry or a sector, whatever you want to call it, over the last 15, 20 years is a shift in thinking to think about age itself as a disease, as an ailment. So the holy grail is effectively a magic pill. If you can get something that gets at the biological marker that causes aging, then you can get all of these other benefits for free. Laura talked about the magic pill, or the god pill, as it's sometimes called, when she spoke to Danny. My assumption is that most people would actually 
take the pill if it ever came out, and they'd probably pay significant amounts of money for it just because why wouldn't you? Until the science is there and you actually have something to offer, it's kind of like people will say all manner of things, and it's really hard to tell you know, what will or won't happen until the, 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 the technology is actually there. You don't get arthritis. You don't get heart disease. You're not diabetic. So that at 110, you're old, but you're biologically, you just feel much better. So could we all be more youthful in our old age? We'll have more from Tom and Danny on the quest for immortality right after this. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture, and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views, and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what is it that actually happens when we age? There's this idea that aging is not inevitable. And once you've defined it as not inevitable you start to look at why it happens. That's Tom Whipple again, with the science behind ageing. There was a great paper published in 2013 which pinned down a dozen different things that your body does that gets worse with time. So 
One example is telomeres. On the DNA, the genome inside all your cells, there's these little things that are commonly described as shoelace ends. Basically, you know those little plastic things that are on the end of shoelaces that protect them? Um, our genomes have this. Now, each time they divide and you get new cells, those get shorter. Eventually, they get so short they can't protect them anymore, and then you get DNA damage. So is there a way to keep telomeres long? We're suddenly talking about biochemistry here rather than philosopher's stones. And that's one thing. Another thing is, for instance, senescent cells. Your cells divide all the time. Each time they divide, you run the risk of that division going wrong, of mutation appearing. If that happens, you run the risk of things like cancer. So your cells have this inbuilt clock where after a certain number of divisions, they stop they go senescent, they uh, cease to be useful cells, rejuvenating themselves, and they flag themselves to the immune system for destruction. But as you get older, the immune system gets less effective and you get more of these senescent cells, and eventually these accumulate and they start doing all sorts of things. Um, but we have, we have drugs that can get rid of senescent cells. So get rid of that and you start getting... Already? Really? Well, there are ones that are shown to do so in mice, and we can. The story of this throughout is we can do astonishing things for mice longevity. Um, <laughs> there are a whole suite of different things like this that seem to constitute the phenomenon that we call aging. And once you start to think of them as the precursors of all these other diseases, ultimately the the major cause of the things that are diseases we associate with ageing, you start thinking, well, maybe this isn't completely inevitable. The idea that this is a law of nature is definitely not the case. The older you get, the more likely you are to die. So at the age of nine, your chances of living to 10 are an almost certainty if you don't live to 10, it's probably because there's been some accident as opposed to something that's gone wrong with you biologically. At the age of 90, your chances of living to 91, well, they're not so great. You're talking 20% chance of death in that year. By the time you reach 105, your chances of living the next year are a coin toss. But there are some animals where this never really increases. Um, clams are a good example. Some tortoises possibly are a good example. And um, what is the secret to their longevity? How do they do it? We don't completely know. There's a point in our lives where our cells all happily replace themselves and we appear to be this semi-immortal being that can just keep on repairing, keep on doing these things. And then we lose that. As, as anyone has seen the sort of active and vibrant clam, you can tell that this is a beast that doesn't have that problem and that sits there being just as exciting in its first century as it, its fifth. So these creatures are things that are worth studying to try to find out the mechanisms by which they don't have these problems. I think that the most important thing to think about is in our past, we didn't die of old age. In your caveman past, you would have been more likely to have been knocked off by the cold weather or the saber-toothed tiger. In that sense, ageing isn't a particularly relevant evolutionary cue. All evolution cares about is, does this creature, does this animal, does this genome reproduce? So I mentioned senescent cells, and they're a really good example. Your cells have done this trade-off, and they've decided that when they're young, they're going to make sure you don't get cancer. And the trade-off for that is when you're old, those cells stop working. They just hang around and clog up your body. So knowing that, 
what are scientists doing now to try to reverse some of that process? Once you've defined the things that make you old, then then it becomes biochemistry. So, for instance, with telomeres, there's a chemical we call telomerase, which seems to stop them shortening. This is already used in, for instance, keeping human cell lines going. It, it seems to have a knock-on effect that it makes you die of cancer in, in animal models. So that's not great. Um, there are the young blood companies. Um, I would say they're probably more at the cowboy end of things. There are the senescent cell drugs, which are a class of drugs called senolytics, which are making their way into into the health services. And have they been shown to have real effects? I mean, are they making people younger? If you talk to these scientists seriously, they will say, well, look, we might add a few years of lifespan if we get senolytics into people and all of these other drugs. But what we're really interested in is health span. If you can live to the age of 100 routinely, great. But that's rubbish if the last 20 years of your life are spent feeling sick and frail and doddery. What we really want is to get to the stage where people get sick and then die and die at an old age, rather than slowly declining. And that's what a lot of these drugs are looking at. Danny, having been around Silicon Valley for a while, having seen some of these characters at work in other fields as well, what is it that drives them to to do these slightly insane projects? Is it a God complex? What, What happens to these billionaires? You know, when you come out here, especially from the UK, for example, and you start talking to people and they speak in such unironic terms about how they're going to transform X or revolutionize Y, and they're just this one person with an idea. And you look at them and it's hard not to just kind of smirk and be like, oh my goodness, like, what are you talking about? But the truth is, every once in a while, someone succeeds. Mark Zuckerberg had this idea to set up a website to rate the attractiveness of women at at Harvard 17 years ago. And now this thing he has built is used by 3 billion people. If you think about going from mainframes to the supercomputers that fit in your pocket, That is astounding. We can change the world. We've done the impossible before. So why should this be any different? I think we will continue to elongate life. But this idea that you're more likely to die at age 115 while running around on the tennis court as opposed to 82 with catheters in your body and everything else, that in itself would be, again, a revolution. Because if you think about what that means... Maybe people work into their 80s or their 90s. Maybe they have three or four or five different careers. It's like this fantastical future and it gets very exciting. And then you have to step back and be like, okay, wait a minute. We're just actually sewing mice together still. (laughs) (laughs) It's a while away. Some of the Silicon Valley billionaires, though, have been more dubious about all of this. Tell me a bit about them and their arguments. Steve Jobs, very famously, you know, he got pancreatic cancer, and he kind of eschewed a lot of the traditional approaches to trying to treat that. And obviously, he passed away. But he seemed quite skeptical of this idea of trying to defeat biology. Six years before his death in 2011, Steve Jobs delivered a now famous speech to the students at Stanford, where he set out his thoughts on life and on the importance of death. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be, because death 
is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Trying to overcome this natural process for humans as long as we've been humans as a bridge too far. And Elon Musk, he is quite skeptical. What he is not skeptical of is us merging with machines and kind of becoming superhuman. He actually has a company called Neuralink, and what they're doing is working on a chip that you would implant in your skull and basically jack you into the internet. Because he's saying, if you're looking at your screen, the information exchange is limited by how fast you can read and how quick your fingers move. In his view, that is a bandwidth problem that we can solve. Because if you can put this chip in your brain that allows you to just like open the bandwidth dramatically more and and inject things straight into your brain, then we would effectively merge with artificial intelligence, merge with the internet, if you will. He's working on that. That's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, yes, he's put a lot of money into this company. And they recently showed a video of an ape that they installed this chip in his brain and he was playing video games with his mind. Pager is amazingly good at mind pong. He's focused and he's playing entirely of his own volition. To control his paddle on the right side of the screen, Pager simply thinks about moving his hand up or down. Oh my God. (laughs) He might not be talking about living forever, but again, it's this idea of why is it crazy to have chips implanted to our brains and becoming a cyborg? Tom, are you and I still going to be talking at the age of 100 and something? I hope and I would imagine that the Times podcast will have only gone from strength to strength by then. (laughs) I would argue that the latter half of the last century was really about the electronics revolution. Um, And I think we're probably entering a, a biology revolution at the moment. Our knowledge of how to manipulate genetics and mean that I think we're going to start to see some really quite big advances. It's clearly not sort of imminent just yet, but do you think we will get to a stage where people can choose whether or not they want to die? So the scientists I speak to like to make the point that we're not actually talking about immortality. Things still die, you know, clams still die, tortoises still die. What we're talking about is removing the biological certainty of death. You know, running with it... um, Yes. I mean, then then you have to think, what sort of compromises does society have? Do we decide, everyone, we've got two centuries, then we're forcibly killing you by the state? Do you decide that I've just had enough of it, this? I've, I've seen everything and done everything. I'm tired of life. Off I go, perhaps. I mean, in that sense, death's always a choice, a very rather grim and unpleasant one. I suspect that such is human psychology that Certainly in large numbers, people aren't going to want to go. And if you're still in the prime of your life, going into your third century, I think you'll find very few people will say, no, I don't want to continue my 150-year-long retirement going on a cruise or going trekking in the Alps. I think most people would want to keep going indefinitely. I certainly would. When people say, oh, I don't want to live forever, what they really mean is I don't like getting old. But if you're not getting old, then that's that's not really, really an issue. It's, it's a nice problem to have. I don't think there's anyone listening to this who's going to genuinely have this problem. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, 
and my guests, Sunday Times West Coast correspondent Danny Forston and the Times science editor Tom Whipple. You can read more of Danny and Tom's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Oliver Adamson. The executive producer was Asia Fuchs. And sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.